beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Welcome, everyone, to Real Presence Live this morning. My name is Tim Moser, coming at you from the Fargo Studios, the mothership here in downtown Fargo, between the railroad tracks and the cathedral. The very professional Aaron is in the booth producing. Thanks again for producing, Aaron. Appreciate it. He does a lot of great things. Got the nice little wave from Aaron. Like, I'm out. I got you. No problem. I'm pushing the right button, sliding the right things, pushing the mute button when I, you know, go crazy and all that kind of stuff. So he's he's doing great. He's doing great. We have a great show planned for you today. Uh, wonderful guests uh, and a great local event we're going to have, too, talking about in the middle section of today's show. So let's get right to it with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord. We thank you for all the blessings you give us, all the gifts you give us, the gift of our reason, the gift of love, the gift of hope. Lord, as, as we go through this show today, open our hearts and our minds to the truth that you want to tell us about you, about ourselves, and about our fellow man, and how we can live this truth to give you honor and glory and bring us closer to you. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All right. Welcome again to the show, everyone. Tim Moser here from the Fargo Studios. We have on the line Patrick Flynn. You may remember him from the last time I was on last month. He uh, talks about his book, The Best Argument for God, and we're going to talk about something special in it today. Patrick, welcome to the show. It is a joy to be back with you. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. You Midwestern Wisconsin guy. I like it. I like it. We're having a lot of fun here today. How are you and the family doing, Patrick? We're great. It's a surprisingly warm autumn day here. The sun is shining, so couldn't couldn't be more pleasant. Isn't it great? Absolutely. One of our many blessings, right, and gifts. Well, Patrick, last time you were on, you were talking about the best argument for God, your, uh, your book. Why don't you give our listeners just a quick little overview of that, and then we'll get into a special part of it. Yeah, sure. Let me try to give the condensed or executive summary. So my book is first looking at what I consider one of the best arguments against God, which effectively says this, hey, if two theories, philosophical theories, can explain the same amount, if they explain just as much, then believe the simpler theory. The further claim from there is that theism and atheism explain the same amount. They're on an explanatory par. But atheism is simpler. So go with atheism or naturalism. Naturalism is a sort of philosophically developed form of atheism. And my book says that that argument's all wrong and it can actually be reversed. The right way to think about the matter is this, that naturalism can only explain some, but not all, of what theism can, but only when strapped with far greater complexity. And then what my book does is it lines up a whole host of different explanatory targets, the sorts of things that a philosophical theory or worldview has to explain, big questions like why does anything exist at all, or why is there order and stability in the world, why are there conscious beings, uh, why is there a moral dimension to reality, you know, stuff that we often take for granted but is, is very significant. And uh, through every chapter of the book, I make the case that uh, sometimes theism is the only conceivable explanation of a certain um, phenomena, 
or in some cases where naturalism may have an explanation, it's, it's, it's very complicated, it's ad hoc, and it's far less plausible than the theistic explanation. So it's really a cumulative case for the existence of God, uh, and that sort of master thesis, or what I consider the best argument, uh, allows me to really venture into many different areas of philosophy, and I think show the, the true intellectual muscle behind the classical theistic perspective. We're talking with Patrick Flynn, his book, The Best Argument for God. A great summary there, Patrick, and this leads very well into what we're going to kind of focus on today, and that's the concept of the multiverse. Now, we're not talking about a long song, you know, with multiverses. <laughs> as, as fun as that would be, why don't you give our listeners just an idea, because you, you kind of mentioned it toward the end, the idea, what is the multiverse, and, and why is it such a big, big item in today's culture? Well, yeah, well, one reason it's a big item is it tends to be a very cheap plot device in, in very uncreative movies, as we no- noticed with the Marvel Universe. But beyond that, there's some interesting, you know, philosophical <laughs> explorations of the, of the multiverse. And to kind of situate the context, a lot of it comes uh, down to how do we explain certain recent discoveries in uh, modern cosmology and astrophysics? And one sort of remarkable discovery of the of just the past couple decades, is this phenomena of physical fine-tuning. And this is a phenomena that's agreed upon overwhelmingly among the relevant experts, that at the sort of bottom-level setup of physical reality, things appear to be remarkably dialed in or fine-tuned for the possible emergence of interactive intelligent life. And what that means is when it comes down to the sort of fundamental constants and quantities of our physical laws, they seem to just sort of they seem to be balanced on a razor's edge, where if they were just a teensy, teensy, teensy bit different, say uh, the force of gravity or the expansion rate of the universe, stuff like this, if they were just the teensiest bit different, you know, scooched to the left or to the right, the tiny, tiny amount, there would be catastrophic results. Either the universe would have instantly collapsed back in on itself, or we wouldn't have what we uh, uh, need uh, for chemistry to form, for molecular bonding, all sorts of stuff like this. Uh, so this this has left many scientists scratching their heads, right, of saying, well, why does the universe exhibit these 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 remarkable, truly remarkable features, right? It's just the odds against this are just absolutely overwhelming. And I think the the sort of one of the the best quotes about this comes from uh, a former atheist astronomer, Fred Hoyle. And he says this, he says, a common-sense interpretation of the facts of fine-tuning suggests that a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics, as well as with chemistry and biology. So that's the sort of wider situation. Again, fine-tuning itself is not really something that, it, that experts disagree about. Where the debate is to be had uh, concerns an explanation of fine-tuning. How do we make sense of fine-tuning? And this is where two uh, competing explanations are often offered. You have uh, the traditional theistic one that, hey, fine-tuning makes a lot of sense if there is a fine-tuner, right? If there's a, a, a being, namely God, that created the universe with a purpose for the eventual emergence of beings like us, uh, a universe set up for that purpose makes a lot of sense. God obviously would have the capabilities to create a very finely-tuned universe. So, you know, the means, the motive, it's all there, right? Theism seems to offer a great explanation. However, naturalism which is run by a principle of utter indifference, it's not aiming at anything, really would not predict fine-tuning. Like, the fact that we have a fine-tuned universe seems enormously surprising 
Uh, in fact, just virtually impossible, fantastically improbable, if atheism or naturalism uh, was the correct theory. So in this sense, fine-tuning would seem to be overwhelming evidence, confirmatory evidence of theism. And so, you know, naturalists don't just take that line down, of course. So what they do is they try to really um, bring in an adjunct hypothesis, I would argue. So what they do is they say, hey, look, no, we can explain fine-tuning, too. It might seem like you won the lottery, but here's the deal, friends. If you play the lottery an infinite number of times, you're going to get a winning ticket eventually. So why don't we just have some sort of universe-generating mechanism uh, that just spits out universes, an enormous number of universes, maybe even an infinite number of universes, and then eventually you'll kind of get one like ours where beings like us can emerge, and lucky us, we just happen to be in that universe. So there's a lot there, but that's sort of the wider context within which the philosophical debate of the multiverse is to be had, if that makes sense. Sure, exactly. We're talking with Patrick Flynn. So just to bring it down into a sentence or two, Patrick, the multiverse, is it basically, as I understand it, is basically the idea that there are, if you will, many different universes, even though that's a little, you know, um, contradictory in how I'm saying it. A universe, it means it includes everything, right? But multiverse is basically, but different universes, is, is that kind of the basic idea behind that? Yes, and there's there's different articulations of it, uh, but they generally are exactly that what you just described, mm-hmm. right? Okay. okay, good. Hey, so do we have any evidence, Patrick, that that there, a multiverse actually does exist? Yeah, great question. So it depends whether we're talking about a physical theory or a philosophical theory, um, and most of the time we're talking about a philosophical theory because, as we'll we'll discuss later on, when it comes to any sort of physically worked out. Uh, model of the universe, um, it, it, it it runs into a, a, a relocation problem. If it doesn't really effectively explain fine tuning, it just it just relocates it. And the short answer to your question is is uh, no, not really. Uh, I say not really because, of course, if we're looking at fine tuning, somebody could say, well, fine tuning is evidence of the multiverse, right? There you mm-hmm. go, right? But beyond the fine tuning, uh, the answer is no. There's really no independent evidence of a multiverse theory. And I would say this is an important sort of uh, symmetry breaker uh, insofar as I think we have tons of independent evidence for the existence of God, in which case if we're kind of stuck between two theories which each equally explain the data, even if we were to just concede that it was a draw over fine-tuning between the, the multiverse and God, we have all these other reasons to go with the theistic hypothesis, no other reasons to go with the multiverse hypothesis, and lots of other problems with it. So in that case, we should just we should be theists, not naturalists. Exactly, that makes sense. So you, you you bring God into this. So is is God compatible or incompatible with the idea of a multiverse? Yeah, that that itself is a great point because the multiverse itself, of course, doesn't entail atheism, right? Uh, there could be a multiverse, and it could be embedded within a theistic worldview. Absolutely, one hundred percent. In fact, there's actually some theists that are quite open to the idea of the multiverse. So even if and I think it's really important to impress upon people, even if it turned out that we are just part of a larger multiverse, that itself is, is not a proof or even evidence of atheism. Uh, and, you know, here it's important to, I think, understand the wider apologetic uh, for God or the case for classical theism is the multiverse, whatever else it is by nature, is, is, is fundamentally no different than a single universe. It's still a contingent entity. It's still the sort of thing that would require an explanation, a deeper explanation of why any multiverse exists rather than not. And then you just sort of enter right back into the other philosophical arguments for the existence of God. So it's like, even though the multiverse might be able to explain some sort of 
specific phenomena. It's not an ultimate explanation. Under I argue that only theism can can serve serve that purpose. We're talking with Patrick Flynn. Um, his book, Best Arguments for God, and now talking about the multiverse. Yeah, you know, I I would like to go back. You, you talked a little bit about it earlier. I mean, I don't read a lot of comic books. I used to when I was a kid, but but this is kind of big in uh, in you know for our younger generation that they're kind of almost um, what shall we say imbued with it, right? Almost just immersed in it, right? If if you get into these these type of things. Yeah. Well, the, boy, I guess to you know maybe be a little bit frank. I think the multiverse is often a, a very lazy device. Like I said, I'm. I'm not completely joking when I think that when people run out of creativity in superhero <laughs> movies and appeal to the multiverse is just a way to kind of just you know fix any plot issue that you could possibly have right without without any real serious intellectual effort. I think something is kind of true when it comes to philosophy too. Is like we have real serious uh, you know things that we have to engage with and try and find an explanation for. It's a little bit lazy to say the least, and certainly ad hoc to just punt to a multiverse uh, when there's I think far more rigorous. Uh, philosophical theories that can make sense of these types of, of, of phenomena. Um, that isn't to say that everybody who who wants to bring in uh, the theory of the multiverse is, is being lazy, but I think in a lot of cases it's, it's it's not so much of an objection as it is a matter of evasion, if that makes sense. Exactly, exactly. Well, your friend Jimmy Aiken, he, he wrote this, and, and I read it a couple times, uh, an article about the multiverse, and I, I like what he says about randomness. He says, randomness is only the appearance of non-design. When we say something that's random, we can't explain why a particular case turned out the way it did. But that doesn't mean there isn't a reason. So he says, if you just say it's just random, it doesn't cut it. Well, yeah, there's a lot of issues, right? So if you just say, well, there's there's an infinite number of universes, that itself doesn't make many predictions. Because for all we know, it could have just been an, an infinite number of universes where every universe is just one atom and nothing more, right? That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we're going to get different universes. You could have an infinite amount of the same thing, for example, right? <laughs> yeah. And then if you just say, well, maybe it's every possibility, we have every possibility, but then as philosophers will quickly tell you, uh, that that's actually contradictory because certain possibilities exclude other possibilities. For example, the possibility that there's just one universe and nothing more excludes the possibility of there being other universes. So you can't just have all possibilities actualized either. That itself is contradictory. So now you have to restrict your theory. And what, what I'm getting at is you'll have to begin to fine-tune your multiverse theory to explain fine-tuning, and that's going to get us into the relocation problem, which we can explain when we come back after the break. Sounds good. We appreciate that. Yes, and we're going to do that. We're talking with Patrick Flynn, and when we come back after the break, we'll continue with our discussion on the multiverse. You're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be back right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Searching for more great Catholic content? Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com. Find Catholic news you can trust, information about events coming up in the local area, and the latest on what's happening at the RPR Network. And don't forget that you can listen to any of our stations around the clock from anywhere in the world. Need prayers for someone or something in your life? You can submit those through our online form for the entire family to pray for. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Online at realpresenceradio.com. 
This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. The Gospel records in Luke chapter 4 that at the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus preaches in his hometown of Nazareth and stuns, absolutely stuns, his relatives and neighbors by his authoritative preaching. The good people of Nazareth are so taken aback that they wind up trying to throw him off a cliff and stone him. Even Jesus' capacity to perform signs and wonders was limited by the suspicions and hostile expectations of Nazareth. Not much of reception from the people who should have known him best. Now think about this. If this happened to Jesus, how much more will it happen to us as we faithfully follow in his footsteps as disciples? Do not be discouraged by sarcasm, hostility, or even persecution by family and friends. The Lord will sustain you in your Christian life, even amid persecution. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. What if you could earn a degree that offers the best of both worlds, an MBA and a master's degree in philosophy? The University of Mary offers one degree that combines world-class business training with a careful study of life's deepest questions through their combined MBA, MA, and philosophy program. By earning one degree in both philosophy and business online, you will rigorously engage the big ideas needed to address professional challenges. Visit catholicprofessional.life. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. Today, my name is Tim Moser coming at you from the Fargo Studios. Beautiful, sunny Fargo, and I think it might even hit 50 today, Aaron. How crazy is that for November 14th or whatever today is? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're having a great discussion with Patrick Flynn, the author of The Best Argument for God, talking specifically about the multiverse today. And uh, Patrick, when, when we left just before the break, um, you were talked about a relocation problem. Why don't you go ahead and address that for our first kind of explain right what it is and kind of address that for our our audience please yeah the relocation problem is a, is an issue you sometimes run into different areas of philosophy and it's that <clears throat> it's a problem where something might initially seem to explain uh some issue we're trying to resolve but it actually just fundamentally just pushes it around it moves it to a different level it moves it up or down or sideways so it just relocates the problem but doesn't actually remove it and i want to say that this is one of the most fundamental issues with the multiverse theory as many physicists have pointed out, including physicists like Robin Collins, uh, he'll tell you that in all of the current worked-out proposals of a multiverse or a universe generator, which you kind of need to get the multiverse idea going, the generator itself is governed by very complex physical laws that would allow it to produce those universes. In, in other words, you need a sort of finely-tuned universe generator to get the multiverse theory out in order to explain fine-tuning. So you can see how this doesn't really solve the problem. If anything, it just kind of moves it to a deeper level. So in that sense, in the, in the most sort of fundamental sense, uh, it, it just fails to explain the phenomena that needs to be explained at the end of the day. Exactly. Getting back to what Jimmy Aiken, he likens to a cosmic slot machine. He said, who made it a cosmic slot machine? So he says the multiverse argument does not do away with the need for God any more than phenomenon of biological evolution. If it ends up being true, this would merely push the question, as you're saying, of God back one step. That is, isn't that kind of talking about that relocation problem you talked about? It, it is. I would just divide it into, into two questions. One is, uh, you know, why does it exist at all? That, that mm -hmm. of course, applies sure, to the multiverse. Sure. But also, why is it fine-tuned? Because right. these are two, two questions. And it, and it suffers from both. 
right? It certainly can't answer why it exists at all. It would be a contingent reality like anything else whose nature doesn't demand its existence. Uh, but also, it, it, you, you do not want to concede that it would even explain fine-tuning, not just the existence of things, but fine-tuning itself. So it fails on both fronts. Exactly, exactly. So let, let's bring it about, down to, to Catholics and our Catholic faith, Patrick. Um, sure. can, can Catholics believe there is a multiverse? Yeah, so I'm I'm big on you know don't don't die on a hill if you don't need to, and even though I think there are serious philosophical problems that attend the various multiverse theories, a Catholic in good faith can certainly be open to the idea of a multiverse, and I think this this is and 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 should be very intellectually freeing. You know that there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes on in philosophy and science, and to my mind there is is there's no outright incompatibility or threat from the multiverse to the Catholic faith. So I think it's something that every Catholic can just be open to, you know, the various arguments or lines of evidence as they are presented and follow them wherever they think that they most rationally lead. Mm -hmm. Has the Church said anything about the multiverse, Patrick? No, no, the Church has, has made no formal <laughs> declarations mm-hmm. on the multiverse okay. whatsoever. So you're, you're certainly not dogmatically bound to deny it or anything like that. Okay, so, so the Pope hasn't been reading a lot of DC comics or anything, you think, like that? Or <laughs> I, I certainly hope not. I don't find them to be too theologically edifying, personally. Okay. I, I agree, I agree. You know, as, as I'm sitting here listening, Patrick, this, this is wonderful, it's fascinating, but, but I'm also thinking that there might be some people going there and saying, okay, what does this mean to me, just, I, I'll, I'll throw one thing out there that that I think about because you know you're much much higher level than I am. I just say whatever is out there, if it's a multiverse, it's whatever it is, God created it. God is in control. That that's what I start with. But wh- how about some some words of wisdom for those of us who are just saying, what does it mean to me, Patrick? What wh- where are we at with that? Yeah, certainly from the perspective of faith. I mean, if there if it does turn out, however, we might come to discover that there is a multiverse. I mean, boy, I mean, all the, all the more to God's glory, right? And in fact, there are some theists that uh, you know uh, are op- not just open to the idea of the multiverse, but think that like that's the sort of thing God would create. It's a they they might argue that it's a better expression of God's diffusion of His goodness to bring more things about. Uh, you know, there's debate there, but that's all debate from within a theistic perspective, right, is what right. you would expect from the goodness and majesty of God. So again, I would just want to emphasize that there's no reason to be on alert or to be threatened by this. If there is a multiverse, then it's really something that you would only expect or find a good explanation for within a sort of classical theistic paradigm. It does not fit at all well or solve any of the issues that you find within within atheism at all. So practically speaking, I think it's something that you can you know, pursue out of intellectual interest, but there's there's no reason to see it as any sort of threat to one's faith by any means. Mm-hmm. Right. Talking with Patrick Flynn, best argument for God, the multiverse. Another thing that comes to my mind, Patrick, and of course you're well-versed in this, is just even going back to Aquinas' you know, proof for God, the idea of, of a prime mover, the idea of a, a necessary being, right? You know, I mean, all of this other stuff out here, I think you mentioned earlier, it, it doesn't have to be there, you know? It, it, anything, a multiverse, universe, whatever it is. And so no matter what is out there, in my mind, just getting back to those those proofs, at least in my mind, regardless of whether there's a, there's a multiverse or not, still hold true. That, that's right. And I think those proofs are the strongest reasons for being a, a theist, a classical theist, right? So the idea of contingent contingency pointing to necessity, we talked about this last time, that mm-hmm. there are certain things that exist, but their nature doesn't demand that they be included in reality, right? They 
could have been otherwise. They could have been not at all. And a multiverse is not relevantly different than a single universe. It would be a contingent reality. So all those sorts of traditional uh, metaphysical proofs, as they're known in the tradition, would apply just as strongly to the notion of a multiverse as they would a single universe. Absolutely. So again, it's just it's it's the multiverse is completely irrelevant to what I think are the strongest arguments for the existence mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Appreciate that. You know, Patrick, you're quite a thinker, you're a deep thinker. So I have to ask. I hope I don't put you on the spot here, but are you a cradle Catholic or are you a convert? No, you know, so I was I was baptized when I was young, but I never had a robust catechesis or religious upbringing. Grew up in a very nominal, nominally religious uh, family, uh, hardly priesters, uh, as some people okay, you yeah. know, Christmas term, and Easter, right? yeah. <laughs> so it's you know it's, it's it's funny because you know I fell away uh, from faith pretty young. I mean, the seeds of doubt were planted early, and I was I was sort of the victim of your classic. Hey, religion on one side, science on the other type of conflict, right? I remember uh, being presented with this sort of, I, now, now I believe, false dilemma in middle school that planted some, you know, early seeds of doubt in me that uh, really kind of grew through high school and then college when I started getting seriously into philosophy. I was majorly influenced by a lot of the old atheists and existentialists, so, you know, I veered towards naturalism for many years, you know, a lot of my uh, uh, philosophical life, certainly. But I ultimately came to realize that naturalism cannot adequately explain so many features of the world that need to be explained, from why does anything exist, uh, how do we make sense of consciousness, rationality, meaning, morality, all of it, that I eventually just gave that worldview up. I, I threw my hands up. I said, I don't know what's true, but this definitely isn't it. I opened myself up to exploring new philosophical schools of thought. Uh, I found the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas and his followers particularly persuasive and attractive. Of course, you can't read too much of St. Thomas without getting heavy doses of theology, which at least make you want to start peeking at the possibility of religion. <laughs> and, you know, to condense, to condense the story, here we are today. Confirmed in the Church, my wife, uh, who was never baptized also, had her own conversion, was baptized. We brought all the kids in with us. What a beautiful story, Patrick, and I, I really appreciate that. I could just it, It's amazing to me. I guess I shouldn't be amazed. I guess it's God, right? But how he just takes us right where we're at and those questions, right? Who am I? What, what, what's my purpose? What, what, what is the meaning of it all? Where, where do I come from? Where am I going? Right? All these questions that the human person has, God answers in a particular way through each particular person. You know, you just, you just mentioned some of your ways. And I think that's just amazing how, how he's done that. Um, Maybe just a little bit more, Patrick, about how what were there any bumps in the road for you to come into the Catholic Church? What what were some of the toughest hurdles? I guess shall we say? Well, sure. I mean, one has to go through a very long, painful process of of, of shedding so much of the modern <laughs> secular indoctrination, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I was thoroughly colored by a naturalistic secular worldview that even as my sort of intellect, you know, I think really mapped on to what the Catholic Church taught. Uh, my will wasn't certainly aligned with that, right? And that that, <laughs> that, that, that that speaks more to moral conversion, right, and the deep complexities of the human person. It's not all just an intellectual, you know, pursuit. It certainly wasn't for me, right? There's many dimensions of the human person involved in conversion. Uh, so while the deep philosophical concerns were definitely uh, a, a, a huge source of motivation for me, uh, you know, there, there are other, you know, things that I had to work through and struggle with, but I'll tell you what, just making that surrender to God and, and, you know, making those prayers of God to help you to see better and to and to will better and to give up the things that you're attached to that you know are not ultimately good for you, that uh, it can be intimidating. It can be very scary for somebody who's really seriously on the cusp of conversion and coming into the Church, but I'll tell you it was the, the, the absolute best thing that ever happened to me. 
You know, it's beautiful, Patrick, to hear you talk about that. The idea that, I'm just thinking back to naturalism and everything, it's like, there's so much, what shall I say? Maybe uncertainty, doubt, it doesn't explain. To me, there's an uncomfortableness there, right? Because what, what is, is, is it just random? Is it just whatever happens? And am I part of a random, you know, game, right? You know, to, to have that faith in God and to know there's a purpose, there's a meaning for everything, and especially a purpose for me and my life. To me, that is very comforting and, and gives me that purpose, meaning, and peace that I'm looking for. Yes, and what's comforting, you know, sometimes people will make an objection, well, you just want to believe it because it's comforting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, um, it's comforting, uh, but I also believe that my wife loves me, and that's comforting, but I have significant evidence that it's also true, yeah. right? Exactly. So, so something can be comforting and also well-evidenced and rationally supported, and that's exactly what I want to say about the Christian, Catholic, theistic worldview. Yes, it is a worldview that gives tremendous meaning, significance, and hope, especially hope in times of great suffering, uh, that is that provides a very sure foundation through which we can navigate the difficulties of life. Okay, that's all right. That's all true. Uh, I think it's obviously true. But here's the even better news: that story itself is true, right? Some things are are are, are sometimes people say some things are too good to be true. I think in this case, some, it's too good not to be true. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't see these things as being as odd. I find that a very uh, lame and weak objection. Of course, you know, the will uh, is motivated by different things, but at the end of the day, when we look at the rational case to be made, I think it's absolutely decisive in the direction of the existence of God. Wonderful. Well, Patrick, thanks again so much for coming on and, and sharing you know, your wisdom and your passion with us. We certainly appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. It's been a joy. And again, the, the book, if they want, is The Best Argument for God, correct? That's correct, yes. And I wrote this essentially for my, somebody who's like my former self, uh, a sincere skeptic who's just wanting to hear the best case that could be made. Wonderful. Patrick Flynn, Best Argument for God. God bless you and your family and your work, Patrick. God bless you. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. Coming up next, are you feeling lonely? Have unfulfilled desires? maybe don't know your meaning or purpose in life, at least at times, we've got an answer for that right after the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be back right after this. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. The American Academy of Optometry recommends that all children receive eye exams every two years, beginning at six months old. As one of North Dakota's only fellowship-certified pediatric optometrists, it is my mission to ensure that children are screened for preventable eye conditions like lazy eyes, cataracts, and eye turns. Lumen Vision offers eye exams for children and adults, and you don't need vision insurance to book an appointment. You can schedule your appointment online at www.lumen.com. Vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. This is Father Anthony Craig from the Diocese of Duluth. I really want to thank my parents today for giving me the faith of Jesus Christ and teaching me the ways of prayer, praying over us uh, when we were sick, showing us uh, self-sacrifice. My father actually was a deacon, a permanent deacon in the church, and he would bring us along as kids because there were six of us kids and he would bring us along to hospital visits or to work in the food shelf and doing all these various things for people in the community. And I learned ways of serving others through that, through watching my dad. And then my mom, she also was very self-sacrificial of herself. She wore the same pair of tennis shoes for about 10 years to show us that she didn't care about herself 
as much as the rest of us, and we got shoot new shoes for every school year. We had all of what we needed and most of what we wanted. And the, the Lord really provided a, a great example in my parents to show me the way to really Christian servitude and prepared me for the priesthood. Did you know you can listen to Real Presence Live anytime on any podcast platform? Just search for Real Presence Radio on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on the Real Presence Radio website. Then subscribe so you don't miss any future shows. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating so other people can find us as well. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope.